0: Hey friends, my name's Stevie Taylor, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. My guest today is Johnny Adams, long-time drummer for Doug Williams and the Mix, and also part of the staff of the now-defunct Billy Hyde's Drumcraft. Uh, I met John back in the late 90s, and we've been mates ever since. Uh, We hadn't seen each other for a while, so we had a great time catching up, and um, had a good talk about his early musical days, uh, the influence Mark Kennedy's had on him, his hiatus from drums, and amongst other things, we also geeked out... Big time on drums and drummers, so if you're not a drummer, bear with us through all that stuff. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Adams. Cheers.
1: I think we're rolling. John Adams. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Oh, all right, thank thanks for the invite and uh, kudos for getting all this up and going. It's like it's taking off really quick, you know.
0: Yeah, man, it's going good. Yeah, 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 so. yeah. Thanks to all you guys get your your guys stories out there and, um, yeah, you're at um you're at the Gig Life Podcast um HQ tonight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yep. Yep. In the,
1: um, in in the zone. In the zone. <laughs> mate, oh, when you call it and just said because oh, we I said. We contacted somehow on Facebook or whatever, yep, and then yep. and you said, "Oh, like how about check, you know, coming over and we'll have a chat." And I was like, "Yeah, great." And but my first thought was, um, "I get to see you again and say good day." Yeah, that's. I was a, like number one. Been you know? a long time, like, yeah. 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 So. Um,
0: well, I was trying to think today when we first met, and I couldn't remember if it was,
1: it was ninety eight or ninety nine. I think I can tell you. Yeah. I think I can tell you the exact moment. Um, yep. I remember the first time I saw you play. Um, <laughs> it was ramsgate it was hotel Rams- it was ramsgate and, and i know you were playing the blue pearl session set yeah still Pacific got it blue. really Scouts, okay yeah, 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 yeah. Man, yeah that old chestnut yeah, yeah and then yeah. um you were playing footloose oh really and i was really in awe because i was uh <laughs> I, I was uh it, it was that breakdown bit yeah in the middle yeah. um where you just right hand is on the yeah Tom, you know Tom's doing that, yep. that kind of thing, breakdowns break sort of thing. and um, and I'm a sucker for listening to people play grooves on the drums with less cymbals.
0: Yeah, you know. yeah, right.
1: And um, not that you can do it very often, but yep. you know it doesn't allow for it quite often. But but um, I was like, man, and this guy's got it all going on, so I was I was captivated. Yeah. Oh, cool. I was man. really really going, um, man. This is. Um, um, I tried to take a little snapshot of it away with me.
0: Really? Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. No, later. I was it's really, really,
1: really impressed by that. Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, I'm supposed to be interviewing you,
0: right? Oh, well, <laughs> no. <laughs> We're that, so, what, what I what I remember about that is is we hung out in the car park. Oh, at the back. At the think, back. And yeah, yeah, We just geeked out mm. on drums and gear for as you do for ages, man. At four in the morning
1: or whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, I think we did that a few times.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um. But, but yeah, and then uh, and then. Yeah, we kind of lost track of each other for a long time. And then I remember going into Hyde's one day. Yeah. The old Billy Hyde's drum craft. Yeah. Commonwealth Street. The, so, the, the Billy Hyde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, um, anyway. yeah. yep, In Sydney anyway. Yep. And going up to this guy and going, oh, excuse me. Oh, John, uh, oh, what are you doing here? Yeah. And, and that, that would have been fast forward to about 2004, I reckon, 2003, 2004. Cause okay, I, yeah, yeah. Because I had to buy a new Hardware bag, and I remember going in okay, there, and that's yeah. when I saw you, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah and we sort of, um, yeah, reconnected well, the, like that, and then yeah, you ended up somehow selling me a bloody Pearl Masters drum set, yeah,
1: yeah oh, the red one, yeah, yeah, got okay. like that too, yeah. oh, good yeah, good, yeah, no, you yeah. You're hanging on to them, that's great, yeah, oh, so, great. good drums, yeah. but um, that was yeah, that that was a that was a good era for the for the shop, you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah. a lot of good memories. We were just talking before about Fab and yeah, yeah, all the other guys, ben well, Fab on, and know, I had and, a good, yeah, Fab
0: yeah. and I had a good talk about Billy Hyde's. Yeah, but it was a, uh, yeah, man, what a great place it was.
1: It's so sad that it ended up, like, you know, Gary Hyde ran that, created it with his family and ran it from the under underneath his house in Flemington, um, you know, for almost 50 years um, and uh, basically sold it to a bunch of people that were interested in it because it was very profitable. The gross profit of that place was yep. a lot higher than the average business stock. It was up around 20% per year, I yeah. think, and six was like an average for growth, you know? Right. And so we did all these stock takes because mm. I think the potential buyers were, were interested to see if the figures were actually correct. Yeah. So I remember uh, we are scratching our heads going, why are we doing like four or five stock takes, you know, in the oh, space yeah. of like three months, you know? You didn't catch on at the time? No, no, mm. no, yeah. Um, and uh, then they sold it. And I was, I think, this is probably late, what, like twenty, eight, nine, ten, something like that, and yeah. I'd almost finished working there anyway. But, um, uh, and then within almost what twelve months, or was it two years? I think it was within twelve months. This this new, new mob had run it into the ground. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's very sad, you know. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah. Uh, and and they were trained experts, knowing how to run the place. Uh, probably on an, an, an administration level, I'm sure, but right. the, the customer. Uh, passion, the passion for the product wasn't there. Yep, there was too many mini, middle management from what I could tell, anyway. Yep, and stock control was extremely poor. Yeah, but yeah. they had the computer system to, to apparently magically take care of it all. Yeah, right. And uh, and and for forever, we're out of Vic Firth 5A's.
0: Wow, you know what
1: I mean? Like, and before we were doing it all manually, you know, I used to do it from home or well, from where I was living in, uh, in you know, you live in Bondi, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and uh, I used to. T- Spend all hours of the night. I'd take the, the Music Link stock sheet, what they had, and what we, what we looked like we could sell because we were selling a lot of stuff and used to do it all manually, you know. And, um, uh, Weird. yeah so it's a damn shame what happened Yeah. because the name went and the heritage went yeah, the, yeah. and then it's all gone you know it's so all gone. and in fact now the whole thing i think because they merged with Alan's and i think that's island's all finished as well just shut, shut up it's now like two isn't it completely distant from all this now but um yeah. the, i think it's it's all all finished in fact um i've uh, walked past that the old shop a couple of times oh yeah when i've been in town recently mm. yeah what's a there few it? memories. it's a hair salon Really? Yeah, so. Um, and I think the teaching rooms are probably all gone as well. Right. It was lucky that they remained actually, because the shop was upstairs. And it, See, originally the first hide, it was Andy Evans' Drumcraft. Yep. And Gary Hyde bought it. Right. I think, and then it became Billy Hyde's Drumcraft. Yeah. So, um, and that was up, that was a car park. They turned it into a drum shop and then um that was billy hides as we know it New York for many years right. and i never used to shop there i went in there maybe once or twice a year it right it's never really i used to shop at drum city all the time so. right um but so that yeah it was car park 10 and andy evans drum craft billy hides and then um then it moved downstairs to the corner where yep. most of us yeah spent most of our time there yep. um, and turned back into a car park because right. the area of the building wanted to lease out all these business Offices upstairs, yep, and they needed parking, so the, the shop got yep. pushed downstairs. And yep. but the teaching room stayed upstairs, that yep. was part of the deal, yep, yeah. And um, yeah, so that was uh, that's out around for a while. And oh, mate, I had a lot of funk about it, it was great fun, sure, yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah, I, I was I, only part time, I was never really that,
0: yeah, you know, yep. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, I just remember going in there often. and because I'd only be able to get in there on a Saturday or a Sunday, obviously, because working during the week, and yep. you know, I'd play. Friday night, late finish, and then ah oh, shit, I need some stuff, and there was nothing sort of out this way, yeah. So I'd sort of beeline into town, yeah. Absolutely
1: knackered, yeah. And I, you
0: walk in there, but everybody's the same, everybody's feeling the same. Everybody's yeah, yeah, Tired, yeah. got sore arms and, and bloody drummers, you know.
1: Yeah, well, the guys working there would have been like <laughs> the same, fun. yeah. Yeah, man, would we're, have, we're everybody, we're all just
0: yeah, there with their eyes hanging out. Yeah, that's like, right. Yeah,
1: yeah. You yeah. know, got home from a gig at five, got up mm. at seven to go to work, you know, or whatever, and all whatever. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, so that was the end of an era, wasn't it? I it? mean sure was, yeah. Yeah, but um, because, it's, see, Damo's got his shop at Enmore. Yep. In fact, I was there the other week. Yep. And um, that's great that there's still something. And a couple other people got some things going on, Yep. I think. But, um, um, like, you know, in town. Like, in town, yeah. Yeah, not much going on, so. Um, it's all yeah. online.
0: Yeah, well, what? this is it.
1: So this is the thing with the whole... Um, Alan's thing. but well, but when it when it started to get downhill. Yep. See the stock control. One of the things I thought of was: see, the place was never easy to park at. Yep. People were constantly whinging about that. Um, there's a funky pace and people like to go there, but but when when the stock control became an issue and then general items weren't readily available there a lot, um, like the drumsticks I was talking about and basic yep. things like that. Then you've noticed the drop in. In customer turnaround, like you know, yep. because they're like, "Why? I know they probably don't have the stock. Why am I going to go in and get a parking ticket and spend half an hour looking for a car parking spot when I can just buy it online?" And 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 yeah, that, that's... that's when the internet started to really kicking. Yep. Internet sales because yep. you know, what two thousand, what six, seven, eight, nine, that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Which, yeah. So um, a few things working together there probably yeah, yeah. Um, had a bit of an impact, but yeah. you know,
0: let's um let's roll right back now, man. Oh. Um, to when you. First started playing, so you were born... What's that? Oh, I said you are looking at my cat. What's or, the cat doing <laughs> you trying, Oh, you're trying to flashback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just trying to
1: think. Uh, I've got to say, the whole thing... I started high school, right? Um, okay. The whole thing is a complete accident. And yep. I don't consider myself a musician. I don't have the dream, you know, the, the whole dream of it all, mm. and don't live, live the life. And um, it's taken me a little while to figure that out, but um, that's actually where, where my heart really is. It's, it's, and I never, the whole thing is an accident. Mm. Um, and how it all started and getting a good kick in mm. was, all these things just, just occurred. I was never chasing it or anything oh, like that. So, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, um, I, initially I was into all mechanical things as a youngster mm-hmm. and then tech drawing and architecture and that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, so. Um, and then one day I was at high school and they had the school assembly every morning for about 10 minutes and they said the announcement oh anyone interested in doing drum lessons go and see the music teacher whenever it was and I thought oh yeah it'd be interesting but you, you like, I'm Captain Slope so I'm never really proactive on these things you know And anyway so it was lunch that day the music teacher walked past us in the playground so I didn't go and seek him out but he just, just happened to be in the playground and I went um, so I just thought I'd just ask, I said, oh, drum lessons, what, what's, I don't know why I'm interested, but, you know, um, he said, yeah, well, the drum teacher's in tomorrow, come, arrive at the music department or whatever time it was and have a chat and say, yeah, so I did that, and he said, uh, my first drum teacher is absolute wonderful bloke, great player, and, and, and superhuman, um, Mick Woods, and so I met, met him, and um, he said, look, just turn up next week and, and we'll go from there. So I just, that's what I just turned up and, and he's, then we got onto a, a, it was just practice pad for about six months. So basically he just said, go and get the syncopation book and a pair of Vic Firth 5As and a Billy Hyde rebound pad, three things. And you know? so I went and did that and went back with the book and then we went through lesson one. I practiced that for that week and we came back and did next week, I did lesson two and then the next week, and went on and on and and I wasn't any, even interested in music okay. I, not until probably 6 months after I started doing all that and after 6 months I've got about halfway through or a fair chunk of the syncopation book and I wasn't even interested in playing beats or anything you know like yeah. most people at that, that yeah, age yeah, to, yeah. I was in, I was like tw- 13 I was in year 9 or something and most people are like want to start a band yeah, and what like. I song just and, yeah. yeah I was, it was not really just turn up here, do this, and turn up next week and have that ready, and, and it was just like this sort of robotic sort of right. approach. And um, uh, uh, yeah, and the music came. Interesting, that came further down the track. So, um, so, but but actually, one day I, I gathered up the strength to tell. You know, you got to try and pick a good day to tell your folks. You know, like when you've done something good <laughs> or you're not in trouble. You know, so yeah. and I came home from school one day, I thought I'm just gonna tell mum because dad wasn't home. It's just mum. You know, um, I'll tell one of them. I'll just tell mum first. You know, see so how we go. And so I was walking home. i sucking myself. That went through the front door. I said, um, "She's like, how's your dad? See, you're not bad." I said, "Oh, um, um, I've..." Um, I'm taking this drum lesson business seriously because you know uh, she knew I'd inquired about it because I had the sticks and everything, but like didn't really know that I was going on with it. So. Yeah. And so um, it it started to become when I started to dig into it. Then I thought I'd better tell her that I'm really getting serious about it. So yeah. Um, and to my astonishment, I thought I was going to get an earful, but to my astonishment, my mum belted into the ran into the stairwell under the stairs with the storage you know with all the bits, bits and pieces uh and I heard all this rummaging around and there and I thought what the, hell, what the hell's going on and she came out with kind of dusting off all these old records all this vinyl and uh that all oh, this is not looking too bad so and she pulled out it didn't even say anything and walked past me to the record player and you yeah, were well, i record players in those days. Yep. And it was just 1993, I think, yeah. And cassette tape players. Yep, and yeah. yep. Um, and so this mum was a big fan of music and had a lot of albums from the 70s that she bought and she just kept them there, never really listened to them. Um, and so this record went on. It was Daley Wilson, big band, um, and most of their albums were live, actually. Right. And she put on a track called... I think it was Queen Street. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, this is ripping. This is smoking the stuff. I don't know if you've heard of the date or some big band. but no. Warren Dale. So he's the big first influence. And he... Okay. he the, how do I get to the point quickly? There's there's two Australian drummers in the Zildjian Hall of Fame. One of them's Billy Hyde. The other one's Warren Daly. Right. So this guy's serious. And he... Uh, another thing, he... Uh, Warren was... Uh, went to the United States to further his studies and do some playing over there in the 1960s. Ended up playing with a big band, Cy si Zetner, who was, whose agent was in New York and was the same agent for the Count Basie Big Band and the Buddy Rich Big Band. So they're all in the same agency. Right. And I've actually been uh, become friendly with Warren in recent years, actually. It's just actually like... A, a big deal for me, actually, because cool. I, I idolised the guy, totally. and yeah, he um, yep. and he, I'd heard a few stories, and he, uh, I heard this story about him being invited to play for, fill in for Buddy Rich in his band, you know, um, a lot of people played with the Buddy Rich band after Billy had, uh, Buddy had died, but Warren right. and Daddy got an invite in the 60s, this is when, yeah, yeah. what? It's
0: heyday, yeah. Yeah, the heyday, yeah.
1: you know, and I said, this is true, and he said, yeah, yeah, he said, it's true, he said. I, I he said I didn't play with the band but I got invited and I got a letter and he said I've still got the letter at home. Oh, cool. So he's got written proof to to go and play. Awesome. And another thing with the David Wilson Big Band was um they started probably in the late he came Warren came back to Australia in the late sixties, probably early seventies and started the the band with Ed Wilson and um a real force, you know. So they they took young players in, composition, reading. Conducting the the band, all that sort of stuff. So and Frost a lot of young great players. And um, the but the just listening to this band, mate, it's it just sends shivers up your spine. Like you know,
0: one of those moments. Oh,
1: mate, yeah. And um, all the horns and just oh, it's just incredible. Like tight as a fish's bum. You know, like (laughs) everything's just incredible. And Warren's a real powerhouse. He's 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 not he's he's an absolute demon on the drums. And another thing with the big band was that only two big bands from the West made it into the Soviet um, Union during the Cold War. One was Count Basie Big Band, I think it was Count Basie, and the other one was the Data Wilson Big Band. Right. So they, and in fact, I think Marsha Hines was the singer on that tour. Is that right? Yeah. And it's all recorded. I've yeah. seen bits of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's been recorded. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the it. so they were going crazy they were paying i think a hundred dollars this is in the 70s hundred dollars a ticket a night and they were filling out yes. like five ten thousand seat arenas um yeah so it was a big deal so um so there's a, a big influence yeah first off and um then obviously my first jump teacher yeah, amazing absolute natural great bloke and um i think he lives in tasmania now and uh, just an absolute super sweet person and he one day I turned up to listen and he said let's go out the car I've got a new car we'll go check it out so I said okay so we went out there and um, looked checking things out and um, took for a little test drive around the car park at the school and you know and <laughs> he put this is the thing he, this music came on over the he said check out the stereo," you know and this music came out and I said what's that you know he said it's thing. and uh it was I can't remember the track exactly, but it was, you know, this is early 90s, mid 90s, but... This is tin, was, the Tim Sumner's title? That yeah. sort Vinnie? of thing, yeah, yeah. So and that got me into Manukachi and Vinnie. Okay. Yeah, and Omar Hakam, Yep. Yeah. So, and then, so also with those three, um, uh, you've got, um, well, when I went into music stores, you because I was getting into it, you go into. I remember it was Guitar World in Paris. Mm-hmm. Going to Guitar World, and uh, there was these posters of players on the wall, advertising stuff and all that. Yep. And there was um, two players that were always sort of in your face, f- with good reason. Like the two of the most loved players. One was Omar Hakim. There was the Omar Hukum and Pearl poster. The Pearl one, yep. And Jeff Bacara and Pearl poster. Uh, so, the, and that was. Was the rack? Yeah, yeah. All yep. that, you know, yeah. With the look going on, you know. Yeah, yeah. Blue yeah, steel, look, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, um, um, yeah, so that, that so we got exposed to those those guys, those four guys, you know, through just picking, and actually a fifth guy too early on was, um, first modern drummer had Peter Eskin on the cover. Oh, yeah. And he was just doing, the re, this is a Steely Dan reunion. Right, okay. This is in 93, so yep. this is, like, they'd had a big break for a long time and they went out yep. and did this live in America. Right. Too, I think. And Peter Erskine and Dennis Chambers did that, I think. But So Peter Erskine was on the cover, so I got that. So that was that was a big... So there was a bunch of guys that got into it. And, and like I said, I wasn't interested in the music so much. These yeah, players, I thought, surprised. well, who are they playing with? And so listen, checking out who these guys played with right. took me to that music. So I right sure, went yeah. to Sting. The drummers took me to the music. So Sting, um, Madonna, um, or Weather Report, or... Yep. Um, Toto, Toto or, yep. you know, or and all these other different bands, Frank Zappa and, yep. you know.
0: P-Funk with Chambers.
1: And yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. So um, Steely Dan, obviously, yep. just said so. Mm. Um, so that that that's, and then Mum had a great record collection, really good stuff, you know. Um, and just used to try and play along with that stuff badly, you know. <laughs> and uh, Harvey Mason, you know, because yep. Mum had this album called Breezin' by George Benson, had Harvey Mason on it. So. Right. Um,
0: we had this, um, one of the first CDs that we ever bought, this is back in New Zealand, Yeah. we went into a, into the, local. there's only one music shop in our town, we went in there and the CDs were just starting to take off and we just bought the CD player and Dad said, let's go to the shop and we'll get some, some, a couple of CDs. Yeah. One of them was Whisper and Promises by Earl Klug. Right. Guitar player. Yeah, yeah, she's the done hard, with George Benson, yeah. Okay. Mason
1: was playing. Yeah, yeah, i heard. right through it. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, and then the other CD was, um, uh, But Seriously Live, Phil Collins. Phil Collins, yes. Yeah, Chester okay. Thompson. Right, yeah, yeah oh, yeah, what yeah. a, yeah. I was yeah. watching
1: him last week. Oh, right. Live, yeah. Right, okay, yep. Take Me Home. Yeah, oh, man. Live, live in <laughs> Berlin. <laughs> yeah, oh. It's just does the same thing for like eight yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's yeah. just like, mate, I couldn't... Mate, it's so difficult to do that thing <laughs> yeah, was, over and over without yeah. wanting to change then, it or...
0: And then he, sing, he sings it, he's changing the melody with his singing and it gets yeah. a bit of call and response happening, still yeah. going... Doo,
1: doo, doo, doo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's yeah. awesome, man. So, but, um, yeah, so, that was, that, yeah, that was early and then just, and then my drum teacher, he said, I'm going to quit teaching because he's a biological chemist, see? Right. This is a side thing for him. And I was in this is about eighteen months after I started, so but it, it I had such a great grounding with Mick Woods that he'd gone through we'd gone through syncopation book. Not trying to get into it with drum beats early, it was all a few rudiments yep. not many rudiments, just yep. the syncopation book with yep. a couple of basic rudiments. Mm-hmm. And then the Frank Corniola book, rhythm section drumming. Mm-hmm. And that's where the the coordination stuff started getting yep. involved and um so I went through a fair chunk of that. And then mixed up teaching. And then by that stage, if you've had a good teacher and uh, you've gone through those bits of those books, that's enough to be able to, you know, if you want to, you can carry on a bit. Yeah. Having said that, one of the biggest regrets I've had um, is if I'd had my time again, I would have had a teacher all all the time. Right. In some capacity, constantly. Okay. Uh, And if not a teacher... a coach What is that um you need I, I, I'm I'm convinced that you've got to have someone to bounce ideas off yep. even if it's just for maybe even confidence or okay um playing attitude or that sort of thing um and this the amount of time you can save by getting to the point quicker by having a teacher a good teacher okay gotcha I reckon I got may have actually found out some interesting things I wouldn't have if I'd you know, had a teacher guiding all the way. You know, you find the hard way sometimes when you're doing it yourself. Yep. So I maybe picked up a few things doing it the hard way, but um, I waste. I reckon I wasted a lot of time not getting to the point quick enough because I didn't have a, a teacher those other years. Right. Of, that I was trying to develop. You know. Right. Um, so I found my time again. I would have had a teacher. The whole time, right, and okay. even when that would have died off, some sort of coach or. That's fascinating. And in fact, yeah. in the end, I don't know if you know Melan and Trower, but um, <laughs> he's the drum teacher upstairs at Heights. He's a monster. This guy, he's um like a grandfather of yeah like he, Sydney drumming.
0: Yeah, you know? he's the guy who used to come down on the Saturday, Sunday morning. Yeah. look at all you just bloody, around. Look at all you bloody drummers. Yeah, Are no,
1: well, well, he's done more gigs. sleep
0: last night? You Mate, <laughs>
1: yeah, he, he's done more gigs probably than anyone in this yeah. town. I And yeah. I mean that. Uh, yeah. He was doing um. You know, sixties, seventies, eighties. He was doing, you know, probably ten shows a week, yep. plus jingles and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Easy, and then recordings yep. and. And yep. um, you know, I've talked about Fab before. Fab used to call <laughs> Milan. You know, a black belt and coffee and cigarettes, because he was always <laughs> drinking coffee and smoking. Yeah, right. Always, like, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but and the great thing with Milan. See, I had Melan as like a coach. Okay. Up and tight. I, I stopped playing a few years back, right? Yep, so yep. and and then the final few years of like having a serious just like playing regularly, he yep. was he was always because I was at the shop and he was there. Yep. So and after work I'd go up and you know, yep. and, and in coaching, I mean, we might just chat for two hours. Uh, or I might go in the room and he'd never actually give a lesson. He would yep. just um um talk to you about stuff and life stuff too and yeah. like one of the one of the constant questions who I can just like drummed into me he's like with the drumming bit this is the life bit you know mm. and the progress of the whole thing's got to try and move together and he'd be like he'd be like poking me going you know what what's your credit card debt like you know like you go into the drum room and be like how's your credit card debt and I'm like oh you know Oh not too good. He's That's like fucking get I can I can still remember him like gesturing downwards, you know, get your <laughs> credit card down. Dickhead, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and he's like, Alright, off you go. And and so he'd be trying to guide you through life rather than just drumming, you know. And that was his whole thing. And he gave a lot of his equipment to students yeah. and never got it. never wanted it back. Yep. Like whole symbol sets. He'd buy drum sets for students that were into it. Um and did not expect anything. He's actually very well off. Believe it or not, mm. um, very well off. So, um, and he not that anyone would know that actually, but um, he's very quiet about that. Drives a Toyota Corolla, uh, not flashy, but he has he's seriously yep. got got a lot of resources. And mm. um, uh, he he yeah he would just uh, like you would give someone a little bit Black Beauty for, to borrow, but in in reality he just give it to them, you know. You never and see it again. He'd, you know, and to students that were, like, interested, you know. So he's always really giving like that. So, um, and a hell of a lot of drummers in this town have had great coaching from him or yeah. teaching, you know. So, yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, so. But I didn't meet him till way later until yep. I was working at the shop, really. Um, so what happened was, um, I, as I said, never really interested in doing drumming or music mm. career or anything. Um, so, uh and never did it as an elective in high school mm-hmm. until it became apparent that I needed to because of a subject clash thing. Right. So I wanted to do engineering science for the HSC. Yep. And for year nine and 10, my friends were like, you know, do music, you know? And I like, no, I'm not interested. I don't want to associate, it's so sacred to me. It became so sacred that I didn't want to associate regularity with like a, a regime and a schedule and, and mm. a career with it, mm. a potential career, you know? Right. I didn't want to have that connection. And um, so um, I always didn't choose it as an elective. And then when year 11 and 12 came in, I wanted to do engineering science, but only four people, which would have been the lead into drafting and building design and that sort of thing, which is what I've gotten into in the last 10 years. But so only four people wanted to do that. And the deputy principal called us in one day, and the four of us and said, listen, I can't really arrange an entire teaching regime for four people. Mm. If you want to do engineering science, you've got to go to another school or here's a list of subjects you can choose that fit in with everything. And music was on it. Oh. So I thought, oh, it'll, it'll take pressure off my other subjects because I'm already doing a bit of music, you know. Yep. But what had the opposite effect is it absolutely took over after that. Like, yeah. I just, everything went by the wayside. And it was just drums and music, drums and music, you know. Mm. Sort of became this, I suppose you could say I became a bit of a fanatic about it. And, um and then my, Eng- check this out though, my English teacher, not looking for gigs really, playing stage band, concert band, yep. you know, oh and, and a big band, that was like Monday nights sort of thing, yep. and and no, no cash, no professional, you know, like with great players, great mm. players, you know, but, but not like on a professional basis, you know, just, just we're playing because we're playing, yeah and you'd be like, oh, there's a gig at McDonald's this Saturday for McHappy Day or whatever, we're going to play for an hour. You know, so that would be They were the kind of gigs, you know, yep. and and show school musicals and things like that, mm-hmm. and jamming with friends. So um, that that happened, and then in my year uh, twelve, my English teacher, her husband was a keyboard player with Doug Williamson, the Black Mass. So my I got that gig through my English teacher in high school. Yes. Yeah. So, Mr. Daly, yeah, husband, Mr. Daly, uh, Mrs. Daly was my English teacher. In, um uh their son ben was made guitarist and we hung out a bit and and mr daly i was because he was teaching at the school as well so it was always mr daly right, right. his name's gary daly well, but i was i was a student he was a teacher so i was always mr daly so yeah. um, um he he i was actually getting a couple of piano lessons at that stage too i think from him but he put my name forward uh to play with the group uh, to play with Doug Limbs in the Black Mass um, in the mid, this would have been 1996, I was just finishing year 12. And uh, Mark Kennedy was the drummer, and there was an arrangement that Mark Kennedy, do you know Mark? Or,
0: uh, I don't know him personally, I know who he is. Oh, one of yeah. Australia's greatest, yeah, and yeah, sure. most
1: recorded arguably drummers, you know. Okay. Um, we'll get back to him a bit more later. Yep. Um, do, like, two good stories from him i like to yep, explain good. actually which yep. quite useful for music, music in general okay. um, and playing but uh, so Mark Kennedy was playing full time in that group and a whole bunch of other things So and if the arrangement was if he had a gig with Rene Gower no questions asked he'd go and do that gig Yep. and that was the deal they had and therefore the drum chair came up um, and go, Mr Daddy put my name forward and, and they gave me a go at it and um, I got another gig, but so what happened was, my first paid proper professional gig, club gig in town, was with Doug on a Friday night. It was just turned eighteen, probably eighteen and a bit, um, eight and a half, something like that. And um, it was Friday night at a at a place got by the name of Burgundy's, which was the city of Sydney RSL. It was the top floor of that. Oh yep. Upstairs there. Yep. Whole of a lug.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> And you're going through the front too with yeah. all the oh yeah. mate. Yep. Yeah. What an initiation. Um uh, yeah, so in there and that was a Friday night and the very next night was at the basement with Doug as well. So my second professional club gig was was there. So like
0: Baptism of Fire. Man. Well like I'm straight in, I was very <laughs> yeah. lucky. Mate, all I can yeah. say
1: I was lucky, you know. Ooh. And um, that was the starting point of it all. I would um, say so you're lucky, you, you knew
0: how to play, so oh, but, you, you, know, got, well, you got yourself in the position. Well, mate,
1: I used to, see these guys were like icons in their own right, you know? Yeah. And, like, Andy Thompson is a sax player, I remember talking to him one night about it and, um, because he'd, he'd been playing with Dire Straits in the 80s. Right. Doing, like, like Money for Nothing and, you oh, know, shit. Like, he did at least three or four months world tour with, you know. Right. Just about the time Brothers in Arms came out you know in fact that was one thing he said he said uh i had the option to come back to australia he'd been doing elton john i think and Die straits and he was doing the Die straits too and he had that that tour finished and he had the choice to stay with Die straits or come back to australia and play with moving pictures and you chose moving pictures, right. and the next album that came out with Dire Straits was Brothers and Arms, oh. which was like the, one of the biggest albums that ever, ever, ever you know. And um, but moving pictures were doing pretty good, oh, but yeah. really, I mean, there's a bit of a difference, oh, I mean, yeah. slightly. But yeah. um, I mean, in that tour, I, mean, I think actually speaking to these two artists, um, I think Dire Straits holds the record for the number of shows that the old entertainment centre, which is shows. no longer there actually, That's it's all right, apartments right. now. Yep. Um in one consecutive night tour. Not not oh, consecutive shows. Okay. it's nothing Elton John holds that record, No, it's, right, okay. it's two shows in one tour. They did something like twenty six.
0: Right.
1: But it was like ten. And then they go away somewhere and they come back and do five, I think, and then they'd go away. Didn't, to another city and come back and do a few didn't more. Did you pink
0: and, end up breaking that record though?
1: I don't know. But but 20, 20, Five or six or tw- 20 plus shows is a lot. Shit. I don't know how many she did, but yeah. I know, I, and I think Elton John has the record for consecutive. Consecutive, okay. Yeah, and that's close to 20 as well, I think. so. Oh, yeah. But they were the gigs yep. these guys were doing, you know. And, um, and Sunil De Silva, I mean, in excess, John yep. Denver, Elvis's band, you know, all this other stuff, so. And all the other guys, and Mark, and Steve Emmons, and, yep. and Gary. Mr. Daly and Doug and that and the Francoise and Anastasia with the singers, you know. So they yeah, that these were heavyweights. And I remember saying to Andy one night, I said, I said, what in the hell business do you have a, you know, an eighteen year old novice hanging out with you guys? And um, I was stunned, I couldn't figure it out, you know. And well of course you would have to be able to cut it, you know. Of to, you. That's one thing, right? But um but he said, listen, this is the thing. He goes, he goes, and Andy always had a VB in one hand and a cigarette in the other. <laughs> and black belt and black VB. BNC, VB C- and see cigarette? Yeah, yeah. And his <laughs> and sex was usually always hung off his neck almost all the time. I don't think it ever came off. It was like this, you know, this, this real look going yeah, on. Yeah. And he goes, in this real raspy voice, he said, mate, he goes, no one owns the grail, mate. We only hold on to it. And I was like, okay, so he's passing it through. Bit of wisdom there. Yeah, 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 so, um, yeah, but, uh, so, uh, that that was great fun. I mean, the basement in those days, I mean, Doug was doing every Saturday. Yeah. uh, For a few years there, and unless they wanted to go away and do something like Byron or Perth, the casino or whatever, and, um, what a vibe. I mean, that's probably my most favourite memory of of clubs. Yep. It was that, um, from 96... 1999. Yeah. Um, the basement had its. its, I'm. I don't know what earlier because it'd been around for a long time before that. But the the funk that was in the place at that time. And, and the, the seriousness of it all. I mean, you go in there one night. You go in there on a Saturday and like you know Dennis Chambers had been in five previous nights. You know, and and you kind of could feel it on the stage. Yeah. And you felt. I better I bet bloody will play good. You, know, like you didn't walk in there going, "Oh, this is another gig." You went in there going, "I better have my shit together." Yeah, you know? um, yeah. like you almost feared it. Yeah. I did anyway. Yeah. Um, so, such was the sovereignty and the heritage of the place. You know.
0: I was talking to Craig Cahoon last week, well, and um, yeah. and he said yeah, the 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 um. Uh, the Brothers of Oz were in there every second. Second week. well in ninety nine. Yeah, ninety nine. Yeah yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And then yeah. Doug was every that's every right. other.
1: Well it was it was yeah, that's right. It was yep. well, Doug was doing um, Fridays with Transformation, another group with another great drummer and, it was Gordon Rentmeister was yep. and, and another guy I really love in this town is Jess Champa. Um <laughs> well, I'm,
0: Yep. Chatting with him Tuesday. Oh, really? Yeah, mate?
1: Man. He's one of my most favourite people in town here. Oh, cool. And great player. Yep. And he never cocks anything up. He's always perfect, you know? He's really. He's <laughs> just sight reading. I've seen him sight read the most the difficult stuff, and it's just like, yep. n- no trouble Nothing. at all, you know? He yeah. plays like five instruments, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's a great right, person. Yeah. He's really social. Yep. And yeah, anyway. Um, so he. So, there was, a, yeah, that that group was on, I think, and then Doug was doing, they were doing like a double header, and then, um, but then it, that was like 94.5, I think, and then Doug ended up doing Saturdays here, I think. Um, there was a lot of dual shows, two shows a night, and I think Doug, oh, right, Doug okay. actually was one of the first people to do a show by, by
0: right. like yeah. one
1: show per night sort of thing, right. with one artist, so, um, and that was the Saturdays, and that kind of took off, and then. Um, and then it started to die down a bit. Bruce Vowell started his share in the, the basement in 1999, I think. And it became a little more corporate after that. Okay. Uh, the carpet changed, got all, came all everything became a lot cleaner. Okay. Um, there was a record executive who actually probably helped save the joint because um, Bruce had a large share in that place. And Chris Richards had obviously the other share. And yep. um, I, uh, There was talk at that time of uh, Group, I think if my memory serves me correctly, that a group of Asian businessmen were going to turn it into a gaming lounge, we're going to buy it and turn it into like a, a prestige gaming lounge. So, and if from what I recall, this record exec bloke came in and took over the the the, the void that Bruce had left from you know pulling out of the mm-hmm. arrangement and uh, carried it on, and it became a little more corporate after that. So, okay. but, um. Uh, so the feels changed slightly, you know, like they put a pool table in there and, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, um, some of the intimate booths that were in, like in the social areas out the back yeah. kind of got taken out and it kind of, yeah. and uh, I'm not saying it was bad, it was great, but yeah, like, yeah. Um, but it did change a little bit. Yep. And the other thing was um, you had to have your sound check done before meal time, before the restaurant opened right. and all that kind of stuff. Right. And and actually before this period... um. In like mid nineties, like I remember one of the guys went up and put um like twelve names on the door, and now I'm battered an eyelid mm. you know you could have whatever you yeah, food and drinks you wanted and all that kind of stuff it was um it was uh, in fact i'm I'm probably sure it wasn't doing doing it any good for the running of the business, you know, but, sure. um, but, but there was this vibe of a just, vibe? Yeah, oh, yeah. mate, it was just great, you know, yep. and obviously, I, 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 obviously you could see it had to be tightened up a bit yep. to survive, you know, um, those people were turning up to gigs, yeah, right. um, and, and all that sort of business, and the, and the jazz gig started to dwindle away from, right. because Vince James was doing like five right. nights a week there, and then, right. you know, and we packed houses five nights a week in mm-hmm. the 90s, yeah, and then, um, then, yeah, that those shows started to diminish a bit, and um, always great music down there. Yeah, Fa- like top shelf music, but um, there was a lot of jazz there, you know. Yep. And that sort of they had to keep the place open, you know. Sure. Yeah. And I think they just had to get whatever music in there that was of great quality, and yep. it was whatever, whatever was in there, but all different styles. So, yep. Um, rather than just because it was predominantly a jazz venue.
0: Were they back then um, getting that still getting the international? Axe through or did that oh, come yeah. later did that
1: come later? Mate, tell me let me uh, tell you yeah. Oh, um well like I said, you get like like Mike Stern and Bob Berg and all that down there. Yeah. You know, yeah. Four or five night, Dave Wackle and Yeah, I, I and when I saw I saw
0: Wickle. Yeah. Wickle band there.
1: And and yeah. all these kind of guys, you know. Mm. Um but one gig that stands out for me, which really summed up the vibe of the place, um, was I went in on a Sunday, I'd been playing the night before and I couldn't have been bothered taking my drums home and I came and picked them up the next day and Sunday afternoon, and this would have, been, would have been about 18, about 1996 or 7 and I I went, it was probably 3 or 4 in the afternoon, you know, that wonderful sound and you walk up to that venue and there's a bit of music coming out from yeah. downstairs, You yeah. know, like, oh, it's great, even yeah. walking up to the place is awesome yeah. and you go down and... Um, by the acoustics you could tell there weren't many people in there you know and it was this jazz group was playing in there and, um, uh, and I stood there and watched for a while and I went man this is this is a really interesting sound uh, and this sound is I, I wasn't that had much veneer for what was going on you know I was still very young I still don't have much veneer for what's going on but um, <laughs> anyway but you could kind of tell that these guys were really a bit different yep. and it was three horns and a drummer was sousaphone, trombone, trumpet and drums. I think the trombone players, Washburn, someone, Washburn or someone, the heavyweight players, you know. New York guys. It turned out, well, this is the thing. So I, I stood there and looked and I thought, I've got to figure out who these guys are. And, I, and so I went over to the nearest table and I picked up one of those little pamphlets and I looked at the date and said, Bobby Previtt, Bobby Previtt group. And it said Bobby Previtt was a drummer, you know. And uh, I was just nailed to the back of the wall. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It was just mm. Really, really explosive sound, a lot of energy, you know. And so they were New York guys, you know, so that, that, that sound was yep. obviously, you know, quite unique. Yep. Um, actually, and this will lead into Mark because a couple of days later um, I was having, hanging out with Mark Kennedy down at the basement there. We were going to watch a show with a few other people and um, I was raving about this gig that I'd seen there on the Sunday a few days before. And uh, I said, Oh, mate, you should have seen this drummer. He was just absolutely going for it. And it was just all action and, you know, um, just, you know, really exciting all that kind of stuff. And Mark, with the most mature wisdom you can think of, is beer in one hand, cig in the other. He kind of just ashed his cigarette out and whatever, you know, kind of put his beard down. And he looked over and he went, and really slowly he went, Yeah, he said, those, those New York guys really play up on top of the beat, don't they? And I went, oh, I, I was floored. And I thought to myself, I've completely missed the point. Mark, I'm thinking action with this drumming. Yeah. Mark's thinking pulse.
0: Yeah.
1: So that was a lesson.
0: Yeah.
1: So there's an example where you can get taught something serious. Like That's a big one, you know. <laughs> For me, I thought anyway. Yeah. Having a beer with a great player. You yeah. Know? So um, the other thing I remember him saying was um, that he said, whatever you play, make sure it's not fucking lumpy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: lumpy. <laughs> he said, I
1: can't handle lumpy or something like that, you know. Sorry. So you can play the notes, but if it's lumpy, what is it? <laughs> the fuck is it? You know, so. Did you work out lumpy? Well, I tr- I'm still trying. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, Mark, Mark is like. I'd love to talk about Mark Bitmeat man. Awesome. Like I got really exposed to that guy a lot because I had to fill in for him. So and he was so generous with his time. I went to his house, I'd hang out with him in studios, rehearsal rooms, that sort of thing. And I never actually had a lesson from him. But I got more than that because I was hanging out with him on the job. Mm-hmm. So you're hanging out with one of the best players around yep. on watching them work, you yep. know. And then having to sit in their chair and try and emulate. Yeah. Tough. Yeah. And a real baptism of fire because, um, um, it sure as hell sounded different when, like, for instance, a rehearsal, he'd play and then I'd get up and try a few tunes yeah. or whatever. And you get up and you f- you felt so inadequate. And, and, s- like, the sound must have been so different. It's the way and, they hit. Hey. And, 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 and not only that, it's, if it sounded to me so different, goodness knows how different it felt to the other guys, you know. Gotcha, You know what I mean? Mm. So, and we all felt a bit different, but, um, with playing, obviously, but, um. So trying to race into that and fill it, fill the void. That's yep. a massive void, mate.
0: Yeah.
1: And Mark's playing is like talking about, you know, not wanting to be lumpy. He's he's like warm butter. Everything yep. he does right. is like warm butter, um, and it's so smooth. Yep. But there's a bite to it as well. There's a real real bite and an attitude to it, um, while being subtle and sensitive at mm. the same time. So, mm. and. Uh, um, I really got as I said I was around him a lot never actually sat down and had a lesson you know um so there was none of this rudiments or anything going on It was just I was just watching him and on on him at work you know and I used to go and uh, to the basement pardon me because Doug was doing so many gigs there Chris Richards allowed Mark to have one of his drum sets parked in the band room underneath the bench there yep which is spaces at a premium premium. so that was pretty yeah. you know um pretty good and so I'd just, like, actually, what would sometimes happen, Mr. Daly would drive down from, I'd jump in the car, we'd go down, and we'd get there before Mark got there. So I'd just set the drums up. And um, uh, so set the drums up for Mark, and then if, if I had a night off or whatever, I'd kind of be down there. I'd be there. No, if I had a night off, I was there on Saturday night, yep, you know. Yep. And so I'd set the drums up, and then, um, uh, and then, I was like the ball boy. Gotcha. Um, like I'd sit by the side of the stage, about two metres away from him, watch him all night. Like I mean all night. I'd sit on the carpet on the floor and you'd be kind of under the drums a bit and you'd get that different sonic sound yep. and you get a, you'd get the sweat coming off and the air moving. You'd, you'd yep. get all the feel from that. Yeah, cool. Oh, it was just amazing. And um, and like Mark would be like, hey Johnny, go and get me a beer. So I'd get him a VB. I'd be like, <laughs> Johnny, go and get me a smoke. So I'd get him a smoke and... Um, it's because you could smoke in club and clubs yeah, yeah, in those days, yeah. you know. I don't know how we did it. Yep. Mate, you wash your hair the next to... morning.
0: You... Oh. I used to play with the smoke. Really? Yeah. Oh. The amount of drum heads I burnt through with the top of my smoke. Really? Yeah. But oh, mate. I used to make them good back then. They, they wouldn't split, you know. You yeah. just get the hole go. <laughs>
1: That's it. But so. then you get
0: the smoke in your eye and you.
1: Oh, no. oh there, yeah. You know, and you can't yeah. go anywhere. You can't anywhere. get away from it. Yeah, yeah. You're trying to ash it. Yeah. And then you. <laughs> You go back up and
0: you, all your ashes
1: in the rooms. Yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. yeah. It? I probably that could have helped the sound, you know. Yeah, yeah yeah. Sort of yeah. Muffling, yeah, muffling, yeah, yeah, dampening, muffling, nothing. Yeah, but um, yeah. So, so, uh, and then when the gig finished, and then I just packed the drums up, you know. So, but let me tell you, when you pack someone's drums up and set them up, you get yeah. to see these little things yeah, like right. tunings. Right. Um, and Mark's played on probably four, five hundred albums and done all this other stuff, you know. So, and he was a studio guy. Right. Flat out,
0: Okay.
1: as well as the live flow. Big in the studio and so he's tuned drums is set up for studio playing mm. quite often and his bass drum was like it sounded so so good out the front. Uh, without a mic in it it sounded like concrete but um, right. it was massive pillow right up against the head right up to the top yeah. oh, right. and a big wooden beater bang on a, one of them Fallon patches and you'd hit you'd tap the bass drum with no mic and it would be like seriously like a click on concrete yep. it hit timber on concrete yep. but once the mic went in there it just rounded it out just the right amount to give it that <laughs> thud you know and the definition was it and um had his snare quite muffled as well and mark would have his top head chin tighter than the bottom one right. from memory yeah so that was interesting but um yeah so but the biggest thing i picked up from him because i'm you know, talking about mark and just like warm butter and the hi hats are just so greasy, that it, it's just like grease, um, elastic grease. Um, <laughs> nothing it. separates. It's just all connected, and you're just stretching, your pull it, and it, yeah. it's like it, 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 it's flexible, but it doesn't. Nothing yeah. separated It's it's all together, and gotcha. it's greasy. Um, and what he what you did with with a top hi hat clutch, you put the take you know you put the cymbal on, and then he put a big soft felt on the first, right. before the little felt in the wing, the little nut would go on, right. and and it, it wouldn't be too tight, and that would allow the top high had to glide, Gotcha. so when you opened it, it didn't go, <gasps> it was like, yeah, and not only that, his amount of light and shade between dynamic ranges, there was not three or four different levels, it was infinite, yeah. um, and occasionally, you know, I mean, I, I don't think I've heard anybody play single-handed sixteenths, at about you know eighty beats a minute, ninety beats a minute, like any a, anyone. I don't think I've ever heard anyone do that as good as him. Right? Like I mean, anyone. Um, yep. So much um, elasticity in the groove, and mm. um, yeah, and, and 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 this was like the end of the jazz fusion, which we could call it. You know, let's call it probably the end of the real techno rock jazz fusion era. You know, mm-hmm. and so a lot of players, particularly my age, were like really into. You know, Vinny. Well, still am, obviously, but you know, yep. there was that whole jazz rock fusion yep. scene. You know, yep. Yep. Um, and I'm, I remember talking to a couple of mates. You know, about Mark Kennedy. You know, oh mate, you got to check Mark out. You know, he's. You know, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, I've seen him once or twice, but I wasn't too impressed. And you know, I was just like mortified. I was like, what are you not getting? You know? <laughs> like, um, what are you yeah. Doing? So, and the big test is. Oh, sorry. Oh, I just pushed the cat off the chair. Should be right. Yeah. Be, right. be right. Looking happy. Yeah, so, And the, the big test is okay. Well, he we might be doing something simple, but you tried doing it.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's where you know.
0: Try that, and make it sound like that.
1: And feel like that. Oh, forget it, mate. Um, and that's where forty years of playing and all that recording and the practice and all that kind of stuff was. Um, obviously comes through in a player like him. You know. Mm. So, um, yeah. But um, that was. Yeah, a very sensitive band, like, um, even to this day, actually, we did a gig on Saturday. I mean, I've done, um, as I said, I stopped playing a few years back. Yeah. Drums want, went in the storage. we talk about that? Yeah, drums went into storage. Hang on, do you want another drink of water? Yeah, no, I'm all right, thanks. Hang My on, mind, I'll get me.
0: another drink. You you stopped playing. That's right, yes. Yeah, because yes. I, look, I'll back it up a little. You were playing a lot. Cause I remember when I used to see you in the store, like you
1: eyes hanging out of my head with a yeah, blue face. Yeah, you were yeah. just, you'd just
0: play, you would just playing. You playing. You were playing so much. There was a bit going on. And it's funny too, cause I used to, I would be in different parts of town, and I'd like I'd be sitting at the back of the cross somewhere, and then I'd see you walk past with a bass drum.
1: Oh yeah. And then I'd be <laughs>
0: somewhere else, be in Surrey Hills doing something, and then I'd see your car pull up for something, it, it was just oh, weird, it was oh, really? weird, oh, you, you okay. were just, you were everywhere. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, and then I sort of, I went away from the scene a bit too, I sort of, I stopped playing
1: for a while. Before I had our little past. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, so why, what, what what, was it for you, what was the... Well, um, it's quite personal I suppose, okay. um, well, like I said, um, well actually, first of all, um, uh, actually I've got to say before we finish up, yep. I... Mitch Farmer was a big influence as well. He and lives around the corner. He does, yes. I've been to his place. I interviewed him once. Oh, did you? For a drum magazine. Yeah,
0: I've been trying to get hold yeah, of yeah.
1: him. I've, I've sent him a couple of messages yeah. he hasn't replied. Oh, I actually meant to say good to him anyway. Okay. But, um, yeah, so just before we go, I think, yeah, obviously the Sydney guys, other guys like, Kerry um, Buchanan is probably the biggest influence. I didn't get to know him that well, but... um. But actually, Doug and Marsha ended up doing quite a few gigs back-to-back on the same stuff so i to see him a bit there. Okay. So we brush past a little bit there. But um, So so oh,
0: Kerry was playing with Marsha? Yeah. Okay. Right.
1: And um, I don't know why, but for, there was this whole spate of gigs, even in other, other cities where Doug and Marsha were just on the same okay. bill, you know, and, yeah, so um, for a little while there. But anyway, um, that yeah, and then Mitch Farmer was a big help too, through Mr. Daly as well. Um, and beautiful player, Mitch, yep. and big help, and I, I'd say Mark Kennedy was probably the biggest influence of the people I was around, like, face to face with, but I spent quite a bit of time with Mitch Farm as well, um, and, um, you know, Mitch is a guy in awe of Mark, you know, okay. you know, so, cause Mark's probably, s- born in 1950, 68 now, so, right. um, Mitch is the younger generation, obviously, and I'm younger again, so, okay. Uh, much younger, yeah, so a bit younger again. So um so there's uh yeah, a beautiful player, you know. And actually I remember first hearing Mitch Farm and with Tommy Manuel. Oh, okay. Yeah, so and yeah, so he's done a hell of a lot of stuff too and beautiful player. So um and he was very nice to me. Yep. Um I used to do similar things, help him set up and pack up and all that kind of right. thing. And, um actually did a couple of lessons. Um but the person I was around the most was by far Mark Kennedy, and absolutely blessed and lucky. Yep. And all this came from my year twelve English teacher, right. with her husband, and you know, yeah. And just all happened. So, um, and I've never had like a business card or right. Been the only gig I can remember chasing was the Steve Ehrman's blues gig.
0: Right.
1: Yeah, they were doing like six nights a week, and I'd been playing with Doug for a while, and I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind doing something else, and and then I ended up moving in with Steve and playing with the group, so. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that was probably 2001 or two or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but um, that's the only gig I can think I can remember. Chatting. Anything else? You know, people would say call me, and I never call them, or that they call and I never call back, and I was really a bit blase about the whole thing. And one thing I really regret doing as well was one night I was packing up at the basement. I was about 18, and this guy came up the stage and we started chatting. And Simon Barker, who's one of the greatest jazz drummers in the country, you know, and um, he's like, mate, here's my number. Because there was no mobile phones in them days. Yep. Um, it was all, uh, you know, wrote it down on a piece of paper and it. gave it over, and you know, and landline, you know. And you went home and you dialled... Yeah, well, I you didn't. You dialled the number. You, you did well, dial the number, but... I like, should have dialled should, the number. I should have dialled the number, you know, yeah. and he was like, man, let's hang out. And I just never engaged with so much stuff, you know, so right. um, coming back to the original never chased it really I, I was chasing being a good drummer i wasn't chasing gigs right not I not really if i mean when you're in your 20s you, you're you up for doing a, being busy and being around you know yep and whatever's around but i don't actually remember pursuing gigs in fact it would probably be the opposite yep. um i was happy to get them yep. but I, I don't remember going out and advertise i don't think i ever advertised or did anything yep. like that yep and then as i said people would and I wouldn't call them back, so I was pretty stupid, really. Mm. Um, uh, from you know, but um, yeah, so but but like I said, I wasn't gunning for it from day one, anyways. A career, you know, yep, which leads into what we were going because I, I then stopped playing, yep. Um, uh, you know, got got involved with the um partner, and you know, um, just uh, but but that wasn't the main reason that. I had started uh, studying building design yep. at Old Tech College at Ultimo. Mm-hmm. So, um, the TAFE there. And uh, that was part-time. That was in oh9 I think. And then, um, so I was getting to the point where if I just kept drumming and kept trying to study this new area, which is what I wanted to do when in I was in high space. school, yep, yep. that was the dream, right? Yep. That yep. was the dream. Yeah. Um, then I was going to cock both of them up. Yep. So it came to the point where, and then the relationship came along and then just stuck, okay, we'll put the drums in the in the storage unit and didn't touch them for about, I don't know, two and a bit years. Two. Mm. Yeah, so didn't pick up a drumstick. So, yep. and i tell you what, mate, I don't know if you've had this feeling before, but when you've been playing like a lot and you, you're in your 20s, you know, and you're keen, you can, I suppose, keen for it, to some degree. Um uh and you have Saturday nights off all of a sudden. You're sitting on a couch like we are now. It feels weird. Like to sit at home, you go, shouldn't I be somewhere? Or is someone yeah, yeah. about the call saying, you know, where are you? Yep. We're setting up or well, which actually did happen once or twice, but um double booked once or twice. But, <laughs> yeah. For uh, me it
0: was more I don't think I really had that feeling because the times that when I was in bands and I, I left the bands or something happened with those bands, it was probably time for a break. Yeah, well, you a- and, know what you know. you know, for me, you know, I went from playing all the time to, you know, seeing my friends start go to clubs and stuff, and yeah, I wanted to be part of that. You're so, young, you just wanted, so I, I think. So yeah. I did, and... Yeah. You know, I I'd, I'd yeah. never, I, never, I never stopped playing. Came and sat on the couch. I, I stopped playing and then went clubbing. Yes. Oh, well,
1: don't worry, mate. I've done my first year of that too. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. And and. And then the other part was, you know, of course, when I when I got married, I was playing, and then wanted to be home with my wife, and then started playing again, and then my first daughter was born, and that's a good change. I would rather man. be home. Trying to help my, you know, yeah. be with my wife and my daughter. Yeah. Then being, way up Newcastle Way, having to drive all the way home at yeah, yeah. three in the morning. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So that, well, that was trying up. not to kill yourself. Yeah. That's it. So in fact, I remember that Newcastle came into my head as I was coming up here because the Cumberland Highway used to turn left at the motorway and go. Yeah, on. yeah. Get that. Yeah. So um, put yep. back a few memories. Go up. Was it? Is it Penriths Road? Penhills Road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that was the way up. But yeah, so. Um, I found that a bit odd, and liked yep. it. You know, yep. I thought oh, I could, I, sure. I could do it just staying at home. You For know, sure. like, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that, that's the way I went. So then I got, I stuck my teeth into studying yep. um, the architectural stuff, which is what I wanted to do initially. So yeah, that was like 28, 29, So you know, I, every decade or so, something, something usually get it. Cha- or I found that every decade there's been some sort of change into breeze you know yep and um so I've been doing that ever since but so when I stopped I, I got back into it after a couple of years and um just started doing a gig here and there Yeah. and this year uh, it's probably been one of the most enjoyable years I've had yep uh and fulfilling and yep. I've done I counted yeah you know I've done six gigs this year and really? this is November we're in mid-November yeah yeah so um and they've they've been shows with players that are great friends and great players and, and, and they've been shows, not like pub gigs or anything, they've been, awesome. um, yeah, so, um, and they're a party, so sort of private thing, so, um, and it feels like this is how I wanted it to be when I was 14.
0: Yeah.
1: That that was the same headspace. Gotcha. Just doing a couple, want to be playing as best as possible, but just doing a couple, a couple of gigs and... Um, and, and it's taken 20 years to... To find out. Yeah, Or more, 25 years, maybe, yeah. Yeah. So, but having said that, man, oh, well, that is a hell of a good time. I was going to say, yeah. Uh, can I can't, man, it's in the a, cross. the whole life there, man. The whole cross, mate, I remember um, one of the funniest uh, times, in, uh, the cross, I was 18, and we'd played at this place called Round Midnight, um, which was on the corner of Cullet, no, Cullet, not Cullet, Roslund Street, and a little laneway, just off the main drag there in the cross. Just off Darlinghurst Road. And all the Golden Mile is I think they call it. Yeah. Yep. Not anymore, I don't think. Not anymore. Yeah, no. No. Looks like a ghost town from us. Yeah, no. yeah. You can park on the main street there I on know. a Saturday night, you I know. know? Yeah. I did a few gigs at the beat bar there about oh, a year right. ago. Yeah. And uh Saturday night, park out the front. Sleep. The <laughs> 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 it's like there's like is this a school night or well, yeah. it's it's like it's, it's like it's um eight o'clock in the morning, you know, yeah. there's no one there. It's so. a whole nother conversation, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's But anyway, mm. um it's um I have a different theory. I know these um unfortunate events with um people being killed and seriously hurt they're absolutely yeah. tragic and and yeah. and it it's um had an effect on the way it's operated. But mm-hmm. my uh, that the cross was starting to die off anyway in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. And this is my litmus test for it. Um, the day that Barron's closed, I thought to myself, right, this is the beginning of the end, you know. Okay. And the Barron's was a little club, uh, opposite, around midnight, what I was just talking about, which I haven't finished yet, but, anyway, it was just across the road from that, and they knocked it down, I think they knocked it down to put a new big, sort of Spanish looking, boat look, sort of looking building, white building up there. There's like a V fork, fork in the road there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's near where Barron's was, and, um, it was the most intimate, funky, dirty, um, homely kind of place you could ever go to, yep. and it was like no one would look at you sideways. You could be like wearing a bloke could walk in there with a pink tutu on and and shaved head and you know no, and wearing nothing else, and no one would look sideways. You know, That's you wouldn't be judged or anything. Um, and it felt like you're in someone's house because the front, like it was an actual house. Like it was like a a, a flat sort of thing and um catches you know tiny bar bar was probably you know two meters long or something maybe less and yeah great times in there and when that place shut i came out of there like really late a few times and um had some great memories in here but but i thought to myself when that when that place went i thought okay things are um something's changing here so so that was happening anyway yep you know uh, I think anyway but yep. um and uh because seeing what it was like well I mean it would have been nice to have seen what it was like in the 70s and 80s you know mm. with um you know all these Texas Tavern and All Nations Club and mm. all these other places you know you know fifteen twenty club or Whiskey go go 15-20 clubs with the best players in town playing there seven right. nights a week would have been great fun you know special mm. so but um yeah, so, but I remember, yeah, uh, first time I ever saw the sunrise without going to bed um, was, yeah, d- it was about 18, playing around midnight with Doug there, and the gig was supposed to kick off at 12, that's why it's called around midnight, and go to about three. Well, Doug turned up at two thirty, one, <laughs> <laughs> more than once, I think, yeah, well, I think 2.30 was the latest he ever turned up, and we'd get going by about three, yeah. finished about six, and uh, that was a great little bass, yeah. And uh, I remember coming out of the club, like, this real, like, sort of, you know, youngster, teenager type thing. Uh, uh, Walked out of the club, and the sun had risen, and I went, I freaked out. I was like, I haven't been to bed yet. (laughs) You know, and and what was funny, because there's a little laneway next to that club off the Rawson Street, and there was a, oh, such, such good memories. It was so seedy, but, you know... We've, someone found a milk crate or two, and there was a, a, a busted pallet, you know, and someone found a ball, and we, we set up and started Played playing cricket, cricket there <laughs> at, at two in the morning Brilliant. outside the club. That's yeah, awesome. Because <laughs> it was a long, thin laneway, you know, perfect, like a great pitch, you know. And so we were playing, oh, mate, it was so, so, so funny. And um, yeah, so Timber Pallet as a bat, and. Yep. Milk crates and ball, and you know, yeah, <laughs> so, um, yeah, and it was just cool, yeah, yeah so, yeah. but, um, uh, yeah, so, well, yeah, so, stop playing, of playing again, and, um, uh, yeah. back there, yeah, yeah, so that was a dream. So, yeah, um, yeah,
0: I want to talk about your your technique a little bit. Are you oh, play, like there, or no, <laughs> you play traditional grip. Um, did that start way back with the your first? first no, one? no, no.
1: Yeah. I actually started. I naturally was an open-handed player, like left hand on the hi because I'm left-handed.
0: Oh, are you? Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah.
1: And um, I started doing it. That's as I naturally wanted to do it. As I started getting the Frank Conley book with my first drum teacher, yep. I just naturally went left hand on the hi I don't okay. know why. Just it's instinctive. Yep. And drum teacher said, um, Mick said, "You'll have to make a decision pretty soon." Whether you want to do right hand on the hi hat lead or left hand, and I chose the right hand. So, but I was playing match grip, okay. it was all matched. And then, uh, a couple of years into playing, I must have been, yeah, a couple of years into it, I started dropping the stick with the left hand all the time. I mean, I still drop plenty of sticks, but um, the, the left hand was just really, really pissing me off. You know, I was like, what's going on here? And at that time, I bought a Virgil Donati instructional video mm. called Power Drumming. And see, there was not much internet in those days. No, no. So you couldn't log on and just find no, out what no, people right. were doing yep. it, you know. It so you just had the, the odd photo yep. in a drum magazine. Yep. And Or you had to read the explanation in the interview. Or... Yeah, and I yep. didn't believe. I actually thought it was impossible to play like these guys like Vinnie and, mm. and, and Virgil and that with that grip. I didn't believe it until I saw that video. Right. I actually thought it was impossible. I right. thought there's no way you could ever do that. Yep. Um... And uh, I saw photos, you know, and I thought, oh, you know, gee, I wonder what they—they they must switch over, you know. But when I saw someone doing it, mm. um, which the first time was on that that virtual video, um, and they had a whole bunch of exercises on it, I thought, well, I'm dropping the stick on my left hand, or not, not happy. Mm. Uh, why don't I just give the traditional a go? So I just looked at it and tried to emulate it, and that's 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 all I did. So I just followed the exercises and. I tell you what, though, um, having not played a lot, see, I've only done a few gigs this year, and
0: mm.
1: on oh, last few years, not many. And every like four months, three months will go by without playing, and you can't just jump back on and expect things to work. So, um, well, they weren't working at the best of times, but um, the you like you know after four months, you have got to do like half an hour a day for a week before the gig or something yep. so trying to try and get back into it, you know. Yep. And to tra- traditional grip seems to really fall off. Like the left hand's much harder to get back going than the, the right. Right, right okay. There's a, I think there's a lot of maintenance involved with that group. Right. And so I've started to try a few minutes here and there with the left hand on matched. Right. And I was playing percussion in clubs a lot when in, in my 20s. Um, so that was cowbells and tambales and that. So you had to play matched anyway. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it just feels better to... I've not done much rock stuff, but... Mm. Um, um, the the backbeats, um, you know, obviously a lot lot easier with the match grip. But um, so
0: you think you might
1: ch- change the match? I've grip? done a little bit of. It yeah. depends what you're doing, I think. But um, there's definitely not enough facility there to be able to just. You yeah. can do basic stuff, but you know, yeah. with the left hand, but um, but but when you get, i found when you get the left hand traditional tuned up nicely, like you've spent a bit of time on it, yeah. it feels better. Right. Mm. Somehow it feels better, and it, it feels like the way you want to do it, or the way I'd like to do it. So, mm. um, but you're uh, not a lot of playing going on. So, yeah. Um, but um,
0: we were t- talking earlier about the grip, and Dave Goodman. Yep. Played traditional grip for years and years. Yeah, and Started right. having some problems with his with his finger and right. his hand. Right. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, out of necessity, he's he's trained himself up to. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah, so I think so he plays Manchester for oh.
1: quite a while I think now, isn't yeah. he? Oh. Uh,
0: it's only a couple of years, I think. Oh, maybe. maybe even 12 months. 12 oh, shit, months. okay.
1: I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. You know Pete Drummond had a, a bit of a skateboarding accident. Oh, right. Yeah. And that changed his technique apparently quite a lot. He's a mountain boy.
0: Okay.
1: Um I'm from the very low mountains, but he's he's way up, you know, you know, high mount upper mountains. And, right. Um what a monster he is. Mm. Yeah. So um He, I was I was I did actually I left a bit out I I did a music course after school at University of Western Sydney mm. and I was taught there by another percussionist called Lee Giles and uh, he's great and uh, more art music sort of percussion ensemble stuff mm-hmm. which I never really got into because when you're that age you just want to you wanted to do you know grooves and yep. stuff with toms and you know <laughs> 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 all that stuff yeah. and uh, uh, yeah so um, yeah so I uh, did that course and um, there was um, I can't remember what the point was now Pete Drummond? Oh I was going there was a guy there an older bloke who was in the course and he said that he, he was the guy that told Pete to chill out a bit from practicing right. he's from the mountains as well this guy and he said oh, I told him to go grab a skateboard or something and chill out and and then he had a skateboard accent and bugged his oh, hand up. Oh, <laughs> but, oh. um, and then apparently Pete, I haven't spoken to him about it, but he's had to um, change his um, way that he holds his sticks. Uh, he's matched, obviously, but right. um, a very, very um, like, relaxed like look.
0: Calm calmed down now? Or I don't know, to...
1: not too, but very relaxed-looking grip. I okay. think you had to kind of maybe let... Um, the tip. angle of the stick changed, I think. I think okay. it goes right across this way not straight out so oh right okay yeah um yeah so um so these things happen eh? yep you know, so you've got to kind of sure. adjust I suppose but yep. you know but um I never really got taught that technique proper I've right. seen videos and stuff you know there's a lot out now you can watch <clears> um uh but I think um if anything the thumb in that grip is important Yeah. you should be able to play a lot with the thumb and no other fingers the right. thumb and that, that joint in there Yeah and uh, never been interested in or never been um, very successful at finger strokes and all that kind of stuff and I'm pretty lock grip palm down most of the time on the right hand yep. anyway See and re- like re- the rebound way. player pretty much well just yeah like, I think yeah. that yeah, and what Mark was like that a bit too I okay. think it's no, nothing fancy just just very solid sort of block grip you get taught early on and that kind of stuff so not obviously wanting to be tight I know it's saying. yeah. Um, but, um, definitely more probably what you'd teach a student probably. Yep. You just palm down. Yep. Keep it everything tucked in and keep the stick straight down. And yep. Obviously when you're playing with feel, like the hand might t- flip upside down, you know, when you're playing a shuffle or something. Yeah. Like, you know, not always, but, yep. um, um, yeah. I found, I found with
0: me, you know, I was, I was talking, you're asking me, we're talking about fitness and gym yeah. and stuff. Because um, I used to always play. Uh, if I went to play my ride, I'd take take my hand over and, you know, keep my palm down all the way across to the ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was starting to feel some tension in my shoulder. Pinching a nerve. Walking, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So then that's when I.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Would just. Yeah, yeah. You it, almost, almost.
0: So the so the palm of my hand's facing up to play yeah. to play the ride to take the pressure off my shoulder. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 But that's you know it's just. Yeah. I'm
1: getting old. <laughs> <laughs> well mate, these things I oh, mate, I tell you what, I, I I don't miss the lugs. Yeah, no no. And uh I, I think it's about time, even though I don't play much, it's about time to get some single braced hardware again. Man. Uh mate, that traps case is feeling having mate, said that. I blame I blame you. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. Yeah, buy it all, buy everything. No, no, yeah, you, you get this new, new double brace. Check double, this
0: triple out, quadruple yeah. brace pearl hardware with yeah. these
1: multi-unilock like joint you got to buy yeah. the
0: four yeah. pivot,
1: pivot style you know infinite adjustable yeah, yeah like you yeah. know this is yeah but um <laughs> what well, I used to actually talking about gear yeah. I haven't had a, a manufactured built drum set for about or we used one oh, last one I had I sold probably about five or six years ago no, I didn't use it much um it was a Pearl Masters I think yep. yeah and um I love birch drums. Birch, yeah. My favourite drum set probably of all time is like a late 80s, early 90s Yamaha 9000. Okay. Um, the bearing edges are a little more rounded, I think, on those yep. ones. And, yep. uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I'm stuck in the 80s with that stuff. I really like the dead thud, you know. Yep. Growl. Yep. the Growl, you know. Gotcha. Yep. Um, in fact, talking about Warren Daly, I used to, he, he used to get drum heads from Hines occasionally. Here, uh, and he'd get diplomat top and bottom. Right. If you ever listen to one of his recordings of the Daily and Big Band, mate, the Toms, they sound like they're screaming in pain. <laughs> you know, like they're just, like this roar comes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, Even if you tighten them up, it still doesn't, there's still when a lot of... you said
0: of diplomats, <laughs> I, can, I can just, I can hear it now.
1: And they wouldn't last very long with him either. Yeah. It's really hard, you know. Yeah. So, um, but, and I said, why what all what what the tip, 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 tip top and bottom moves? goes, <sighs> I like the growl, Johnny. I like the growl, yeah, <laughs> so. Kirby Cannon said that too. Yeah. A lot like the growl. Like the growl. Adam said that once, yeah. So, yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I, I I bought some about 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. I bought some acrylic sh- drum shells you get from, like, the Vista lights. Yep, yep. And I had some old Polex bought hardware, yep. you know, and, and bought some other bits.
0: Yeah, I've seen that kit
1: yeah it's you it's, it. it's like an 80s looking you know yeah yeah and yeah. uh i actually like the look of those along the architectural looking those tension. it's like on the session yeah that you got yeah yep. um i like them and uh that's um so it's actually export hardware on a set of and i just drilled it all the holes not very difficult yeah but good i think you should have good hoops yeah pearl triple pearl super hoop yep not the old school 80s one they're too big, but yep. a good solid hoop that's no, flexible. Hoop no, 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 not yeah. in the die-cast. A, a, too constricting? Things? No, not even on the snare. Yeah, no, I think they pop better when they've got... See, so they if you get a thin triple flange tube, it's not good because they yeah, stretch and they, they stretch don't, stretch don't and turn the banded, head properly. Yeah. They don't hold it, tension Yep, yeah, And, yeah. and they, they go out lumpy, like they go way. Yeah, they, they, like they, they bow out. Much, yeah, yeah, bow out, that's right. If you get a good, strong triple flange tube. Um, that's the way I reckon. Yeah, mm. and some snares might sound, or some drums might sound good with diecast hoops, but um, my yeah.
0: drums sound great with diecast hoops. My Did master, you get die? Do- oh, okay, my yeah, masters yeah. Got die-cast hoops. Right, okay. yeah um, well. My, um, I've got a five and a half inch brass Sensitone pearl snare drum. Yep, with a diecast hoop on it. Oh and yeah, it it's yeah by far my favorite. Right, snare okay, drum. yeah, it okay, just,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. and tone yeah,
0: yeah. And, that, and I've got I've got a, a Jarrah Brady snare and I I, yeah. I I had this this other old pearl snare drum which I ended up selling but it had a die cast top hoop on it Right, put yeah. it on the Brady yeah it just oh, tamed it a little well, bit because the Brady just, yeah, okay. just had this Overtone. tone I didn't like yeah yeah really okay
1: yeah. yeah Yeah. okay so it's interesting how I mean it's working at the drum shop for a little bit um, yeah it's tried so many head combinations and sure and hoop combinations and shell combinations and that sort of thing and um so you got to see how things would sit but i'll tell you what's really important um it doesn't matter whether you got a fifteen thousand dollar drum set of any brand or whatever um you've you've got to tambour match your heads um you got to when they come out of the rack or out of the box or whatever you, i think you should get a match set because uh, you got to tap them all, yep. and you've got to know whether you like the dead ones or the bright ones, or the, gotcha. or the ones in the middle. Yep. Um, I like when you hit a, a drum head, you generally get a, a click and a bit of tone. Like, yep. you've got to hold it properly, too. Yep. If you don't, you've got to hold it properly and then tap it properly. You, don't, you don't know? not press into it. you got yep. to release straight away. Yep. And the drum, the, the head will make it, like, it sounds like a, a, oh, a, a lot. Like a, 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 should have a nice long note to it. Yep. Um, and... So if you don't match those heads, if you get a dead sixteen and a bright twelve and a medium sort of tone a timbre on the, the, the ten or, or on a small tom or whatever, yeah. um, it doesn't matter whether you've got an amazing expensive drum set, your drum your drums will not sound together. Gotcha. But you're not you might not want them to sound together. Yeah. But you've got to know why, you know. I yeah, think yeah, um, yeah, yeah. if you want the different you can often see Steve Smith with different drum-coated clear, you know, thicker yep. thinner, you know. Yep. So if you're going for that, that's obviously something different. But if you're trying to match them all, um, I used to see people um, just take stuff out of the rack and not try it, and then they'd come back and go, oh, man, my drums had it. I mean, my drums are, you know, this brand's not so good because they they're not together and, mm. um, you know, they're no good. I want to buy a new set of drums. And so I'm like, oh, you know, I, I used to hear him and say, mate, the heads aren't matched. You know, to yep. match the heads, you'd yep. solve, you wouldn't have to spend five grand. So I wouldn't, you know. Um, I was pretty ruthless with um, equipment. I actually thought, because I used to do a lot of the drum repairs. You did, yeah. Because I used to, see, all things mechanical when I was a kid. Yep. When I was a kid, I was working um, as an assistant in an aviation military museum for six years. Right. When I started Year 7, the same week I started high school, I started at volunteering every weekend for about 50 weeks a year. And then on school holidays, I'd do a, get going as well on vintage and World War Two aeroplanes. And right? jet in, they had jets, they had early yeah. jets as yeah, well because yeah. the jets were coming in the end of World War Two. Yep. So it'd be around early jets and I'll be massive piston engine, you know, big V-12s and 37-litre V-12s and 50-litre radial engines and, you know... Know, two two and a half thousand horsepower type jobs, and, you know, um, um, and so I was up to my elbows in Greece. Yep. So I learned a bit about, and from my father as well, because he's mechanically minded, and through this, um, the even on the old airplanes is a very high level of quality. Yeah. Especially because they're all being shot at and blown up, so they need <laughs> to be strong, you know. Yeah. Uh, in Rolls Royce, you know, all yep. the all the names, you know, like mm. high quality stuff, you know. Um. Rolls Royce engines and that, but yeah, so, um, so you got a feel for what good quality was. So when I used to look at some of this drum equipment and I had to repair it, I was very critical of, um, yeah. of a lot of it, and I, yeah, I won't mention any names, but any yeah. brands. But um, uh, there was one very well particular common brand that everyone loves usually um, loves, and I found a big with their bass drum pedals. I was just flabbergasted you know, broken footplates, broken chains, broken cams. John workshop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've, got, I've got hinges. <laughs> yeah, the hinges uh, yeah, break yeah. or they'd seize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, or man, they, this they is start, more expensive. To, yeah, and they yeah, and yeah. they wear because yeah. then they guide up the front. Yeah, yeah. The old Tama camco, the old camco job. Yeah. Didn't, the sprockets then they have a guide, so the, when the hinge would wear, yeah, then the yeah, sprocket, sprocket would wear and it would all go pear, pear-shaped from them because then they would both start wearing at the same time. And if you then it would your, wobble. And if you took your foot too far off the pedal and slammed it back down, the chain would
0: pop off. Oh, that's That's what yeah. I found on my 5000 right. accelerator pedal. Yeah, yeah. And then, so. then the hinge went. Yeah. So I ended up finding, it And then um, they actually came out with a, a ball bearing. Yeah, and, but the ball bearing bearings and, would explode.
1: Oh, I, right. No, I'm not joking, oh, mate. Shit. And these hinges were a hundred bucks, ninety-nine yeah. dollars I don't know about they are in America, but right. and they were generally unavailable. Yeah, so someone had spent eight hundred dollars on a single pedal. Yeah. or seven, six to seven, eight hundred dollars on a single pedal. The doubles were like thirteen, you yeah. know. Yeah. And uh, not too old, and they'd break, and they'd be sitting on the shelf waiting for a part for three or four months, or six months. Is that right? I was, I, I was, I was like, this isn't right, you know. Mm. Um, but having said that. I think they're some of the finest. These they've, the way they got their mount system and their shells and everything. And the, I think they're some of the finest drums going around. Okay. Actually, DW, yeah, yep. at the moment, yeah, mm. from what I've seen. But um, yep. um, you know, the really good drums. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but um, but that that some of that hardware, I was just shaking my head. Bloody yeah, hell! Yeah. Like you know, I think it was overpriced in Australia. I don't think it's that expensive in the US. The DW stuff, but. Um, don't know. Uh, it was very expensive out here, and you had to wait a long time for parts, and and I used to feel for these people. So um, my, my the pedal I thought was the best and the easiest and feels great, and I still think so, is the Pearl Eliminator. I've got one. Yeah. <laughs> I agree 100%. And, yeah, and you get you get trouble with them occasionally, but, it, but they had parts, and they generally didn't muck around too much. But they're cheap. Or that and too. If it breaks, yeah. You just got buy another one. To yeah. yeah. It, and they're just solid, man. But they feel good. You can fix them. Yeah. You can do things to them. Like I've had the the, the hinge. It's not a hinge. It's where the where the pivot is on the heel. Yeah. If that if those screws cock up, yep. you can you can make stuff to make. You can re tap, put recoils and you can make them work again. Yeah. A bit of mucking around, not mm. too much, mm. and you can get going. Yeah. Um, but um, with some of the other stuff, you need to buy the parts. Yeah. And I found, yeah, um, Sonal was... I, I never got a return phone call in 10 years from Sonal. Yeah, right. About a spare part for a customer. Right. No, never. Not once did I get a return call. So, Which is a shame because they're great jobs. You know, yeah. So, um, and... Um, that, so. But what I found was with some of this stuff, um, with the metalwork in particular, mm. you'd end up... It was... You'd end up especially because if you had half an idea about what was going on you could make it better than what it was if, when yeah. it came out of the factory yep. Yeah. because yeah. some of the stuff with the joints and connections and crappy metals yeah. you'd have to recall things and put yeah. stainless steel recalls in and that sort yeah. of stuff and or the biggest problem i think I oversaw was um s- parts that were under a lot of tension it was a tiny tiny wing screw or tiny grub screw with two threads all yeah, two things together. An and, uh, yeah, yeah. Nothing. I don't, what, what were they yeah. thinking? You yeah. know? Yep. And, uh, and I've got to say, I think Pearl was probably, and Yamaha, they were probably the two best. I said I wouldn't mention brands, but um, um, I'm actually saying these guys are probably the best two. Yeah, Pearl yeah. and Yamaha, I think, were the best two that i yeah. found. Well, I, I won't well, say I that com- they're the I best. I was
0: complaining about the weight of my hardware before, but yeah. man, it's yeah. still solid as it
1: was. I've had Pearl, I've still got Pearl... I like the old symbol tilters from the eighties, not the nineties. Oh right. The UniLock tilters. I've, yeah, that's yeah. What I'm, I'm still using the nineties ones. I yeah, don't like right. the newer ones. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but in um, those UniLocks, you do get problems occasionally. You know, they do yeah, break. well
0: what I found the UniLocks, especially in my session kit, the um, the two countersink screws inside would cut. They come loose every now and then.
1: Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. if you lock tight at them in. Yeah, yeah. Just the. Yep, you've got to be careful, and you can break the, the ring. But, yeah, yeah, Inside right, it. Yeah. right, yeah, yeah. 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 But you really they come
0: loose. But even even now, I think with some of those old Tom Tom um, holders that I've got, the really old UniLock ones, even with those screws done up, they're still playing them now. Yeah, right. But, I mean,
1: yeah. Oh, but that's all right. It's not going to sink any. No, you know, it'll <laughs> go up. But it's not as long as you get it to sit at the right. Yeah, that, height, that's right. Yeah. Um, as long as it doesn't go down it doesn't anymore. Go down, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, um I, I won't say, in fact I don't want to rate a brand here anymore sure. um all I'll say is the out of 10 years of working in that repair shop yep. on and off well actually part-time but over about 10 years yep. um, I found the 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 two brands that had the least drama were Yamaha and Pearl. yep with the, with with parts on the hardware okay not talking about drums so much but just the hardware yep um they were by far I'm not I'll say I had the least um they were the easiest to deal with and had the least amount of issues. Yep, that I found. I think, and Pearl, a lot of stuff came through there, mate. From um, what
0: I see now, Pearl. I mean, they may may have changed a bit now, but from from the Masters series in, they went to reference reference pure. Yep. I thought they changed the whole lug system, so the lug looked they like they started actually.
1: breaking. Actually, yeah. Well, they yeah they that was on apart. the snare drums. Yeah,
0: yeah the, well, this, yeah, yeah. Like the, instead of just having. The lug that that bolted to the um to the shell, you know, with the spring and the, yeah. and, the br- and the lug coming up, yeah, they made it so it was two piece so that the part that came up had a had a split pin through the guts of yeah, the, and yeah, that yeah. part pivoted. Pivoted,
1: yes, yeah, so it was flexible. When you
0: when yeah. you tuned it, yeah. it would yeah yeah it's move. just too many moving parts. Yeah yeah yeah, and it's then, meant to be flexible, Then they fixable, just start, they, fl- they flog out. And yeah yeah, they, they, break, they break, break and they snap. I th- and I
1: think they redesigned you know, it then. Yeah, they redesigned it. Um, yeah yeah, they
0: started they they've gone. The whole tube lug thing. That's a great systems. look, too. Yeah, that's oh, looks that looks
1: really good, you know. Yes. But I like the old 80s Sonal lugs, looks and the architectural looking sharp corners and Yeah, edges. yeah, yeah. Like, oh, uh, even
0: with the old Tama. That, that, art that, star. That, that, that star. We had an the, art yeah, star when I was yeah, studying the, after school, yeah. Oh, dorms, I love that. was a great drum set, so, yeah. Mate,
1: to be honest, I don't think a drum manufacturer, and this is my band, a real near detail, but <laughs> I don't think a drum manufacturer it's an AM show that does it and there's Frankfurt Music yeah. they have to come up with new stuff year. you I don't think you've needed a new drum set since about the last 15 years no, no no, it's just reinventing you know and some of the best ones like I said if I went to go out and get one um, um, I've been making I've been work, working with the last 10 years the homemade one with Ludwig mm plastic drums I love them Um, acrylic shells I thought they were rubbish and I never tried them for years because I had a prejudice against them until I tried them I didn't realise how good they were Uh, they've got to be tuned well though Um, and um, the but but if I was to go and get a drum set I'd reckon an early 90s late 80s Yamaha probably would not the S-mounts and or an old Pearl MLX a made in Japan one right made in Japan one right or bare legs. yeah yeah they're, they're some seriously good drums yep. and um, um yeah i don't know uh, i don't know how you need to go beyond that you know and in yeah. fact i've yeah. had a lot to do with or quite a bit to do with vintage drums with the ludwigs i've had quite a few vintage ludwigs mm-hmm. and people still prefer them over some new ones anyway probably because they're going for a certain sound rather than yep. anything else but um some of the hardware on some of those like the, the tension casings are really good Yep. After 50, 60 years. Yep. Still working really well. I know it's week So, um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, there, but the, I, yeah, the, the, the acrylic clear, or the, the, the plastic acrylic drums, you know, mm. acrylic sheet drums, um, I, I was aghast because, I'd written them off, they're in drum shop. I wouldn't even hit one with a drumstick, that's how much I can yeah, it. I this is how stupid I'm mean because yeah. I I didn't give it a go, you yeah. know. Anyway, one day um, we had a big bottom kit in there and I looked at it and didn't even bother hitting it once, I don't think. Don't don't remember even hitting because and I remember thinking every time I walked past it, I was like, Why would you even bother, you know? <laughs> you know, walking past it 30-40 times a day, you know, in the shop. And uh, so finally the day came, I had to go to rehearsal and I just had a day off and I was in the shop and my mate Damo, who ran and started, yeah, yeah. he he had his Ludwig 12 16 22 Vista Light in the back and I was needing a drum set for a rehearsal at Sound Level. you remember Sound Level? No. Oh, down in, um, that was the Yamaha Drums Outlet. Oh, right. That's where okay. all the Yamahas were. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. In the 80s and 90s. yeah, right, Or okay. the 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and uh, i still remember the first day i went in there yeah my mate and i um on school holidays we trekked into central station and walked all around ultimate until we found it yeah <laughs> and um finally got in yeah lower fig street and um but that that was dear yeah, they had um all the yummies in there and uh anyway so that the rooms in that the the rehearsal rooms in that studio were not great rehearsal rooms usually aren't but in this place they weren't and room 6 was probably the worst right. it was right near where the bathroom was, you know right at the back and uh, so I took this drum set this Vista Light in that room and it sounded great and I thought well if it sounds good in here I'll try it at the gig yep. so I borrowed that drum set off Damo I didn't use a timber drum set after that um, yeah right Okay. for about well I tell you every weekend for about 3 months right, um, I'd take Jmo's drum set for the weekend and give it bring it back on on Tuesday or Wednesday whenever I was back in there and I'd keep buying it on weekends until I bought a set of shells and put it together. I've been using that ever since that yeah. was in what, two thousand and seven, something like that. So um well I mean I haven't been playing for, you know, Yeah, right. yeah. A lot and then a couple still, of years I have not playing at all, but you know but still. Yeah. yeah, so um but but those drums, those clear but they tuned well, um not snares i love timber snares mm. um got the vinnie paul 14 bite snare oh, i've man. only got two snare drums yeah i've man. only had two snare drums for about 10 15 years right. but phil barris to say that most people got like <laughs> 20 snares but <laughs> yeah anyway so um there's been yeah tim that maple snare covered in plastic mirror yeah mirror mirror styring sheet to quieten down yeah so loud yeah um and because it's got a lot of bottom end and tone but when you tune it up high she should get the crack get yep. the top end so it's yep. best of both of those but the acrylic, acrylic, acrylic drums I've not found this in any timber drum and it probably exists but with the acrylic it's got more bottom end than timber can dream of if you tap acrylic, an acrylic shell with no hardware on it put it on your finger and tap it and tap a timber shell the you can almost see the shell wobbling the acrylic acoustic yeah, right. you know yeah. you tap it particularly the bass drums right huge bottom end and we're all looking for bottom-end drums. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the other thing is the attack and yeah, the tone. Okay. When you yep. hit mo- a lot of drums and you hit them harder, you get more attack and the tone disappears. Yeah. Um, which is an which is an argument for actually not hitting drums too hard because you get more tone out of them that way. But um, uh, but but with these drums, I found that the, particularly the four toms, are bigger ones, you hit them harder and harder, and the tone would increase with the attack and the timbre the click would, inc- like it was proportional. Yeah. And I was like, I've never heard that before. Yeah. I was like, I can't remember the last time I've heard that. I don't think I've ever heard that on a tempered drum before. Right. Attack and tone increasing together and bottom end. Yeah. All coming up. Um, so, it's a dead set winner. I mean, it's not the sound for everyone. It's not jazzy. It's not, you know, it's not going to probably work for South American music or whatever, but, you know. Yeah, it works for you. Oh, it's, it's a good all-rounder, I think, mm. you know. So, yeah but um yeah and it's interesting i think when you get older or you've been playing for a while you just use the same stuff all the time yeah i've ever just been using bass snare it's been the same thing for the last probably since that drum set turned up 2007 or you know yeah um bass snare uh, floor tom rack tom maybe or no toms mm-hmm. if the first tom you put in would be the floor tom yeah i think the bottom end uh, yeah. and a couple of cymbals, you know. Yeah. Ride, hi-hat, crash, ride, whatever. Maybe the occasional effect. Yeah. Um. So it's been, the most it's ever been really has been four cymbals and four drums. Mm. Maybe an auxiliary snare, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. Actually, for those club gigs, you do a lot of, playing play along with a lot of electro music. Yep. So you take no, maybe no toms and you take two snares and yep. a cowbell and, you know, um, you know, diddle off. Keep your PCB going and diddle off, you know, just to get some variety, gotcha. you know, onto, you know, voicings and that, but, uh, yeah. yeah, so, um, yeah, so, it's, do you like paradoodle, gro- I don't like paradoodle grooves, I don't, you know that, that paradoodle and you put a bass drum and a snare on it, I can't handle the sound, that's what, like, I can't, I mean, there's a famous bowie chin that Dennis Davis did, um, with that groove sped up, you know. The double's um, cool because
0: it, it kind of gives you that sort of a six. You, get, you oh get the almost, double paradox, yeah, yeah yeah the double's cool but yeah I I, I don't I don't no I've never been one to play them I, I, I might drop them into a fill or but
1: no. like I really love Darren Fridge's, um layered patterns. Okay. Yep. Um, you know, I think they're so eloquent and so tasty and and, and um. Not necessarily busy, but they they just they're just nice layered patterns yep. and uh, linear playing is you know obviously an amazing thing in itself you know but um uh, the I've never warmed to a paradiddle groove yeah it's either been uh, sixteenths with one hand yeah or yeah. you know, two yep. if you have to and yep. um, a layered patterns with and um not diddle combinations when you get to a turnaround. But not Diddle Grooves. Not Diddle, not diddle, was, diddle Grooves. Not at no. all, no. I don't think so. so. Well, but did, mind you... No, I mean, Gad is like the bloody oh, yeah. godfather of all I mean, Yeah, I, yeah. I love listening to it, it's but like I don't... get though. You yeah, like, oh, fuck, mate. No. Yeah. Mate, I think the best gig I've ever seen was earlier this year. It was Gad with that trio from these two... I think they were Danish guys or... Oh, you went guys? to that? Yeah, okay, yeah. yep. yep. Oh, I saw that. Saw that episode. It was fucking unbelievable.
0: Yeah, I've, Uh. Not... Was it last Christmas, the Christmas before, when it's all Gad with the Steve Gad band?
1: Yeah. Well well listen, to his part of grooves all day, but oh, yeah. um something special going on there. But the basics sort the diddle grooves on yeah, not really yeah. that a fan of, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, hearing someone like him do it, it's just like fucking sock like angels pissing in your ears. You know, <laughs> yeah. so, so so but um Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I I was floored by that gig, even when Gad started playing the first tune by himself. Um, and I couldn't figure out, like we all know straight and shuffle and the sort of in between feels, you know. I couldn't figure out, it was so unbelievably amazing what he's playing. Yes. It's like a straight eight thing, very subtle, very soft, beautiful. And I couldn't, it was so amazing, I couldn't figure out whether he was swinging it or if it was just straight. Yeah, probably doing like, a bit of work. Like I was like magic. Like I don't know because yep. um it was nice and lazy um and I I was just uh, yeah and I know Gordon Rentmaster was at that gig and told so the same thing. I was actually going to ring him up. I still want to ring him up and ask him if he <laughs> yeah. But his take is on it. Yeah. What was your vibe on that intro? You know, I'm sure you'd remember. Yeah. Um uh, so going Like
0: back to talking about how Dave Goodman went from traditional to match. Did you notice Gad played matched?
1: Yeah, well if you go back to a lot of the old stuff, you know, yeah. a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of match. And actually, mm-hmm. if you look at 80s Vinnie Colliuta, um, there's some, a lot of, yeah, the lot Zapper, of match
0: t- the Zap, some of the, a lot of the Zappa stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's played,
0: right. He had yeah. all that
1: percussion and yeah, those yeah, extra exactly. the extra drums and the, the and yeah, stuff. all that, that bands or whatever. He couldn't yeah. hit them with the, yeah. so he was, yeah. Yeah, so, it
0: was um, it was a match group.
1: Yeah, but um, but in fact, some of the see, it's interesting when you watch those guys and what they've how they've developed into such amazing players. It's interesting to see the skeleton behind their playing. Yeah, to me, the skeleton is in the '80s, in the '70s. Yep. Um, and the stuff that I wasn't interested in as much at first, but I'm more interested in that now than I am interested in listening to them play in the um, in the '90s or later. Yep. Because. It's probably the association. You can hear the skeletons of, um, of a, a lot of their ideas yep. coming through, yep. um, phrasings, yep. voicings, and all that sort of stuff, yep. in in the '80s. Yep. You know, it may not sound as fancy as yeah. some of the stuff they're coming up with later. Like the blasting, just sort of, yep. you know, um, some you know, just like the way the level that some of those top guys took it to, or have taken it to, or are taking it to um uh you know the the skeleton for some of that i i i hear is in a lot of the 80s playing which is a, is a little um um less intricate oh it's it's an it, it is intricate incredible all of it but um there's there's a lot more flavors to added to the skeleton from uh, the 80s when you hear them so. playing the 80s like you can hear them how they've added to it yeah in, in later yeah. decades you know yeah um so and particularly um Watching Vinny on the Zildjian Day '84, um, man, you know. Yep. Wow. I mean, just I don't know. I'm just know, I'm speechless. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Special player, man. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. But um. Actually, have you heard, have you seen that someone's got a Jeff Bacaro playlist on Spotify? Have you seen? Yeah, I've got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got A thousand songs on it. It's great. Yeah. You oh, know, but,
0: sorry, not not Spotify. I got the Apple Music one. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of Gad songs. There's a I've heard a couple of Gad, because a lot he. This is the thing I was talking about. Omar Hakim and um, Jeff have being big influences. Yep. Yeah. They ended up, I think, a lot on the same similar albums and with the similar artists. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like dice, like you heard Dice uh, Omar Hakim on Dice and Omar Hakim, Jeff Bacarra, and Die Streets. Yeah, um, they both played Madonna, and then you hear Jeff Bacarra and Gad on a lot, like Al Jarreau. Yeah. And yep. all those kind of people. So, um, um, yeah. So those guys seem to pair up a bit.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Not surprisingly, I mean, yeah, obviously they're the they're three contra- biggest
1: mo- motherfuckers out there, but still very you know.
0: contrasting players, you know? They've, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, they just sort of work together well.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. But um. Yeah, you know it's. Uh...
0: I think on. I think we'll leave it on those big guns. I think. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, yeah
1: for sure. No. Um, they
0: pretty, are. It's pretty special. We can't top them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. Leave it there exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We can try. Otherwise, we, yeah, well, I think we we come back and do another. Um, maybe we should. How about we do this down the line? We'll do a podcast, on Picaro. Vinny, Steve, get
1: oh why not yeah oh, I mean, so okay. do some hey, research yeah <laughs> we'll, well I'll, go I'll go have back. to I'll have to start playing again probably yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but let's do it let's do it
1: well I tell you what have you yeah. thought about just putting it out there yeah getting a couple of people to have a chat around table chat
0: I have I was um talking with chatting with Steve Marin about this
1: yeah okay yeah. that would be interesting yeah yeah, yeah getting so, these ideas coming together yeah yeah or these thoughts you know um,
0: but I have to get my shit together and ask proper questions.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah well, right. I, well, oh, mate, you you It's been great fun. Yeah, you chatting here and and, and your topics and all that. You know, um, it's um it made me talk a lot. It's good. So <laughs>
0: me- means I don't have to. <laughs> People don't want to hear me talking. No, mate, no, no.
1: Like I, like I say, you know, like we started. i um, still remember the... Uh, by the way, I was watching you play for the first time, man. It was, um, oh, cool, man. Like I still remember the song, the drum set, yeah, the venue. Was,
0: yeah.
1: Um, the part of the song you're playing, yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, and thinking, man, you know, I better latch onto that, you know.
0: chosen so. Bowden played played Footloose. He he oh, played on that track. Oh okay, right. you know the Chicago guy who played. No Chicago, right, oh oh, Trish and Bowden, Bro, Bowden. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 he played Footloose. Oh, okay, he, yeah,
1: right. He played with Kenny Loggins for years. Yeah right. Yeah. Actually, have you heard seventies Kenny Loggins like pre Caddyshack? Like no. now he, Kenny Loggins did like Top Gun and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, the Shack yeah. theme, yeah, right? Yeah. There's, mate, it's like I can't. It's it's like listening to the. It's. It's you have no idea how different it is. Yeah, right. Okay. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's nothing like that '80s rock stuff. Yeah. It could be pleasantly blown away if you check it out. Yeah, I will.
0: Yeah. So. I think on that on Kenny Loggins then. <laughs> yeah.
1: <right.
0: laughs> Why not? Johnny well, not Kenny Loggins? Johnny yeah. Adams, thanks, thanks so much, mate. my thanks man. for having us. Nah, cheers, good, bye. good, cheers, mate. Look forward to the next
1: one. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Cheers, brother.